Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. on the spiritual gifts, and um, <clears throat> this morning is on the, the manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, especially the speech gifts, which would be the gift of tongues. So, congratulations. You came to our church on the morning that we're going to teach about uh, the spiritual gift of tongues. It was awesome yesterday. Uh, so, again, as a couple weeks ago, there are no slides this morning, and, and that goes up or down, depending on if I had a wedding the day before. Yesterday, I was at a football scrimmage for, it felt like 20 hours. I think it was only um, nine. It's not too bad. So, uh, I'm in Blackwell, Oklahoma, in a chair, reading commentary about speaking in tongues, and everybody would walk by, and I'd just, like, hide my notes. So I was like, what are they going to think? Isn't it interesting? You're like, I don't know what they think about that. I don't know what they'll think about me. Rumors will spread around our school. There's that weird guy. Saw him reading weird stuff, you know. And so I was just like, oh, okay. And and it's interesting because it struck me just uh, how nerve-wracking talking about certain topics are that that feel controversial, that people have opinions about. And it's like this kind of fear bubbles up around this stuff, and I like to think of it, it's, it's like the same thing around, like, if you mention prosperity gospel, right? People just, they just tighten up, and it's like Joel Osteen's hiding behind a bush, and he's just going to pop out, and his teeth are so white, you will give him all your money. I mean, it's just like, it blinded me, like, yeah, I'm just going to give him all my money, or like, Benny Hinn's going to pop around the corner and just slay you in the spirit, and you'd have no choice in the matter, and you just go down, and which would be pretty fun to do to people. Uh, I would love that one. But anyways, I unfortunately don't have that. But it's just interesting, the, the, the fear that bubbles up, our own experiences. <clears throat> and so what we do mostly is we just don't, we do it like any good family, we just don't talk about it, <laughs> right? We just avoid it. That's how families operate. Don't talk about that thing. We're going to put it over there and we're just going to leave it. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that's just not the way our church works. So, you know, when I saw on the calendar, it's like, oh no, it's baptisms, tongues. I was like, all right, mama didn't raise no punk. I'm, I'm here for it. Like, I, I don't scare. I'm like, let's do this. And it's going to be awkward, as we've talked about a few weeks ago. I love awkwardness. I love pranks. I love, I think it's funny. Um, so just know that if you're feeling awkward, I'm just, I'm like enjoying it right now. Um, and uh, so anyways, but it's funny because I grew up in a family um, where my grandpa had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in the 1970s and um, changed his life. He experienced what they called then the full gospel movement. And uh, they were at a revival meeting, and uh, they went back to their hotel room to pray. My grandpa went into the bathroom. My, my grandma was in the main part in the bed, and they both received the gift of tongues at the same time while they're praying. And they come out, and they say, hey, what, 
Anything happen while you're praying? It's like, yes, same thing. It's this crazy experience, right? And uh, the fascinating thing is their next door neighbor was a man named John Osteen, Joel Osteen's dad, who came and prayed over them, laid hands on them, and prophesied about the ministry that they would have of healing and prophecy, uh, which came true in his church. And uh, after this happened, they started having these amazing things happen in their church. Uh, They had a revival meeting where my grandpa was preaching and a man was healed of blindness in the middle of the service, just while he was preaching. Um, and it was fascinating because pretty soon, everybody, everybody was like, man, the church is growing. These amazing things are happening. And then they found out that he and his wife in their private life were praying in tongues. And they called a board meeting and they fired him. And the man who was healed of blindness in that meeting was one of the people leading the charge to, to fire him. And after they fired him, his blindness came back. He was blind until he died. I'm not going to interpret that because I don't know what all that means. All I know is it's just really interesting for me, hearing these stories as a child, it, this stuff just doesn't bother me. The stuff about the Bible, about spiritual gifts and manifestations, because it was just normal, because my grandfather was the most godly man I've ever known. And so the way I interpreted it was like, he's the godliest man I know. There's no lie in him. There's no fakery in him. He was the meekest man you've ever met. So when I was in college, I'd go spend time with him, and he would just watch TBN all day and pray for me and my siblings and my family and for the world. That's what he did all day. Go in there, he'd just have his Bible open, and he's just watching the TV, people preach all day long, and he would just pray for the ones he loved all day long. And so I just thought, well, if that man has that gift, that gift must be good because my grandfather, he's good. And it actually gave me a great view of God, that any gift of God that he would give to this good man that became good for me, well, God's good as well, and God gives good gifts. And so it's just been this interesting thing. But I know that many of us have had um, experiences and encounters with these kinds of things that have shaped and colored the way we view them and the way we feel. Like, so it's not just the way we think, it's literally the way we kind of have a visceral reaction to something because of uh, fear or because of abuse. But the interesting thing is because of that, many times we actually hold deeply unbiblical views about these kinds of things. We allow our experience or our feeling about something to color how we read the text. And all of a sudden, people who are very quote-unquote biblical hold deeply unbiblical views. And that's what I want to dig in this morning. I I, want to see, and it's interesting because if you think about the most biblical people in the Gospels were the Pharisees. They were the most scripture-driven people, and yet they missed the word made flesh. (laughs) They loved their version of the Bible so much, they missed God, very God, in the flesh, the living representation of the word. They missed him. And so this morning, I just want to admit, like, we bring all this stuff. It's like the instant I said tongues, it was like this backpack went on you. And you're like, oh, now I've got all these things that I think about, that I've heard, that I've been taught. And it's, I mean, I've heard uh, the, the, the range of things. Tongues are demonic. Like, I've heard that multiple times. Tongues are fake. So it's people just faking it, you know, because it just sounds like babbling or it's uttering sounds. Tongues uh, don't exist anymore. They ceased after all the apostles died. They're no longer possible Tongues aren't necessary, so because they aren't necessary, it's not worth it to practice it anymore. It's not worth it to think about that gift or receive it because it's just like, well, we don't really need it because now we have the gospel, right? We have the gospel and that's enough and we just kind of let go. And, and I would just say the problem with these positions is they aren't biblical. They just aren't biblical. If you read the Bible, you cannot come to any of those conclusions based on the evidence in scripture. You come to them based on experience 
I mean, there's a bigger problem that calling tongues demonic is, is maybe one of the closest things to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that you could do. You're calling one of the things that he says, this is my gift. You're calling it evil. Whew. And remember they said that about Jesus. They said he cast out demons by Beelzebub. And Jesus was like, how can one person cast out demons in the same day? It's like, it doesn't work that way, right? So we come to this, this challenge today to let go of our discomfort, right? So everybody, I mean, you might just need to whew, shake it off, right? You know, you don't want to get any splinters as you sit there kind of, I don't know how to say that in an appropriate way. But anyways, um, so like let go of a discomfort and just let God's word speak to you and just know God loves you no matter what position you hold. He loves you and his love for you doesn't change. And you could walk out of here with the same position. He still loves you. You walk out here radically altered. And God doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't love you any less. So this isn't about earning or, or being better um, but what we find in the scripture as, as we read it, and I'm going to read it in just a second, is that Paul doesn't say a single negative word about tongues. All of his negativity is about the people who are experiencing tongues, not about the gift itself. He addresses this issue of how the gift is being stewarded in a community of real people. His view is overwhelmingly pos uh, is positive. Um, and so we want to deal with that. We want to do this with the scripture of the text. So there's Bibles in your pews. If you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, we're going to just read this together. <clears throat> or if you have your phone, feel free to do that as well. Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So we've been talking about manifestation is just a public evidence of the power of God. That's, that's all it is. It's God making clear in reality who he is, how powerful he is. And so these things he gives us are literally just to demonstrate he's real. For one is given the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, <clears throat> to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to uh, another the interpretation of tongues. <clears throat> All of these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. <clears throat> now turn to 1 Corinthians 14. So we're going to dig in where Paul actually digs into this issue in Corinth of spiritual gifts and how they're used in the church, which gives us just the tracks to run on in community. What do we believe about this? What do we see about this? And how do we live into this revelation? He says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So as we dig into this, this text, I just want to say, like, we all know if you've read this before, Corinth had an issue with overvaluing uh, speaking in tongues. And they would let it just run rampant in their services to the point where basically it went from start to finish and all people did was speak in tongues. And everybody walked out and goes like, uh, was that good for you? I don't, I don't know what just happened. You know I mean? it, but the people who were in, experiencing it, they're having a great time. Everybody else who's experiencing on the other side is just like, that didn't do anything for me. I didn't hear anything. I don't know what they're saying. These kind of things. So Paul's addressing these meetings that have become disorderly and out of balance. <clears throat> so we have to know this as we dig in there. But he says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I love this because he just sets the table right away. We're not to pursue the gifts, 
We're to pursue love, which is interesting because it goes to where do you put your spiritual effort? He says, put it into love. Love, your, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. As it goes to effort, put your effort into that. Don't put your effort into the spiritual gifts, which is great because he goes, it doesn't matter how much effort you put into it. It doesn't have anything to do with your effort. So you're, you're literally wasting your effort if you're chasing the gifts because the spirit distributes as he sees fit. Your effort has nothing to do with it. He says, but what you do have like agency in or ability is in how you love God and how you love others. So he said, put your effort there. But I love because he says, and then desire, but not just desire, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. That should be the posture of a Christian is to pursue love, but also to eagerly desire the gifts. And he gives it, it's like a picture of a yoke. There's two things here and they're deeply connected. And so what's interesting is because he puts pursue love first, many times that gives people the excuse to say, well, I'm just going to pursue love and I'm just going to let go of this other part. Again, that's a choice you can make. It would just be an unbiblical one. It would go against Paul's admonition and exhortation to you to say, take both. <laughs> God's like, I have two things for you. Take them, take them both. Be yoked in this pursuit of love to a desire to see God's power poured out in your life and in others' lives. And those things are not mutually exclusive. It's not a dichotomy. They're actually meant to go together. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but he says, especially that you may prophesy. We'll see why in a little bit. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So what's happening, right? So if we just go real quick. What's happening when someone is speaking in tongues? They're uttering things that are mysteries to you. It says they're speaking to God. So again, this is one of the positive things Paul talks about. He says, you're speaking directly to God. You're not speaking to people. You're speaking to God. <laughs> And so this, this one writer in a commentary, he says, tongues are Christian because of their source, which is the Holy Spirit, because of the location, which is the church, and because of the results, which is thanksgiving to God. So you take this positive view in the whole. You're like, I have a positive view of this gift because it's in the Bible and God only gives good gifts. So then what do I do? I say, okay, well, what is this about? You speak to, to not men, but God. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So Paul's starting to say, in the church, when you're in worship, it really matters what you're doing because the goal of this community as we gather is to build each other up. He said, the problem with speaking in tongues out loud in a service is it, unless we were to get there, unless there's interpretation, it doesn't build people up. But in, in two and three, Paul contrasts tongues and prophecy, right? So he says, for the one speaks in tongues, he speaks not to people, but to God, no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. The other one speaks to people for their edification, their encouragement, and their comfort. So we said this before. What is prophecy in the church? Prophecy is God speaking through people for their building up, their comfort, and their encouragement. And this is the cool thing. What Paul's getting at here is the church, when it operates in the spiritual gifts and the way God's designed it, is the most encouraging environment ever created. And in fact, in some ways, it's almost the only environment in the world that exists just to build people up, just to encourage them, just to comfort them, just to see them become who they're created to be. 
So again, I think it's easy on this, again, to cast a negative light to say, oh, well, tongues are bad because they don't build people up. No, no, no. Tongues are good because they speak to God, but we've got to be careful in the service, in the community as we gather because they're meant to build you up. And again, then other people say, well, self-edification is not good, right? Building yourself up is negative. So that creates a negative view, which is funny because if that were true, you would stop doing your daily devotions, Right? You would say, all, all self-building is bad. So don't do anything that builds yourself up. Stop reading your Bible every day. Stop, you know, listening to podcasts. No, no, no. This is, is such a positive aspect of this gift of tongues is that when you do it, you speak directly to God and it builds up what my grandpa would say, your spirit man or spirit woman. He said, you're building a part of you that can, can't be built through normal means. So God gives gifts to build you up in a way that you can't, do otherwise. But what he's saying, he's like, speaking in tongues in the service without interpretation would be the same thing as you just in the middle of this loudly reading uh, his utmost for his highest. Like all, you know, reading like a devotional just out loud for yourself and everybody be like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, uh, as, as my brother-in-law would say, do your devotions on your own time. You remember that comment? Like, right? It's like, you know, that, that's your thing with God. So do that in private when we're together. We should be focused on Jesus and building each other up, not just on ourselves. So it's not a negative thing. It's just not what corporate worship is for, right? And three and four says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies does that. The one who speaks in tongues builds himself up. The one who prophesies builds the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Isn't that interesting? That just gets skipped so easily. The apostle Paul, who people are like, is the greatest teacher the world has ever seen. He wrote half of the New Testament or more, and they're just like, hang on every word Paul says. He's like, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues, right? Another positive thing, but even more to prophesy. Why? Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Not, not in some thing that you were saying like, you're better, but it's because unless someone interprets, the church doesn't get built up. But Paul gives this strong endorsement. Okay, so we can't miss these things that the Lord's trying to speak to us. He gives this strong endorsement of this gift because it's from the Holy Spirit. Now he says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit unless I bring you a, a revelation of knowledge or prophecy or some teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. The fascinating thing is Paul uses two different Greek words here for this idea of tongues or language. The first one is indistinct notes and sounds. And he talks about like a bugle making a sound or a harp or a flute. The next word he uses in the Greek is the word for dialect and language. And it's fascinating because people all the time say, well, what is happening when somebody's speaking in tongues? Because it sounds like they're babbling or they're not speaking any language. And I think Paul would actually agree with you. He's saying speaking in tongues many times is not speaking a known language. It's the utterance of the spirit through you that to you sounds like something you've never heard. But, but it is funny because if you've traveled the world, everyone else's language sounds like babbling to you and you never realize that your language sounds like babbling to them, right? And they're just like, ah, yeah, because you always think, oh, English is so intelligible. And you travel, they're like, you guys speak so weird. 
Like, they're just like, I don't understand. Even when they start to learn English, they're like, I don't understand you because you're speaking so fast and your words don't sound like anything. But Paul gives a, a sense here that there is a speaking in tongues that is intelligible language where God gives the gift. Like when people travel to different countries and they preach the gospel. Um, but what's interesting is many times I've heard stories of people preaching the gospel in a foreign country where they're preaching in English and everyone is hearing it in their language. So what's interesting is they didn't speak a different language. They didn't get the gift to speak a different language. God gave a gift of, of translation interpretation in the middle there with a person hearing it, which Acts 2, that's literally what happens. It says they're uttering things, but what we hear in every native tongue is people praising God. But it's fascinating because it doesn't say clearly that one apostle spoke Arabic, another spoke Greek, another sp- spoke you know, Aramaic, another spoke this. It says we heard them uttering like we heard these utterances. And so Paul connects the illustrations here. One commentator says, if the Corinthians not speaking clear, distinct, recognizable words with their tongue, they'll be speaking to the air. Trying to decipher what they mean when they speak in tongues is like trying to translate the sounds that the wind makes. So to try to use your mind to interpret tongues is, is like applying two different forms of science that don't actually work together. Right? You have to apply the appropriate thing. He says, the implication from this description of tongues as indistinct sounds is that Corinthian tongues are not what they would call xenoglossolalia, right? the speaking of an unlearned language, but the utterance of inarticulate noises and symbols. No earthy, earthly lexicon could decipher their meaning. So there's not a, you couldn't go to Google and type that word in all the time. And, and I get it. We struggle with that because we're like, Google tells me everything. Like... <laughs> Like, how dare God give us a gift that we couldn't check on the internet? Like, you know, and, and it's like this thing that because of that, it allows an easy way out to basically say, oh, well, that was fake. That wasn't a real language. And it just lets me kind of let go. We're going to move on. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? It's really interesting. Paul says this, um, he says, I will pray with my mind, or he says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I love Paul. Paul says, I will not give in to the false dichotomy that you choose either spirit or truth. Jesus says, I'm seeking worshipers, John 4, and in those days, they will worship in spirit and truth. They will worship with their spirit and their mind. And you don't have to choose between one or the other. They're both what does that matter? Because if you only pray with your mind, Romans 8 says the mind of flesh, the, uh, the, the fleshly mind is set on what? The flesh. So if you only pray, pray with your mind, you're in danger of the flesh overtaking your mind and you're actually praying into the flesh. If you only pray with your heart, with your effective sinner, right? It says the heart above all things is deceitful. If you only pray your heart, you're going to be praying many times into the deceitfulness of your own heart that you don't even know where you're deceiving yourself. And so Paul says, you have to also pray with your spirit. So all three come together and they all focused on God with his word at the center so that we will pray his will. Right? So that's what Romans 12, like this, this thing where you be renewed by, by your mind will be renewed and you'll get the will of God. Well, how does it get renewed? Your mind doesn't get renewed by your mind. It's really fascinating. Many times your mind gets renewed by your spirit. Your spirit gets renewed by your heart. Your heart might get renewed. But you mean, it's like this thing where we're giving every opportunity. The other thing is I would just say is like our culture has so accepted the primacy of the mind. As, as one theologian said, it would, it would be like we think human, human beings are brains on a stick. 
That's it. All we are is a mind. And so all we need to do to reach people is to reach their mind, right? To convince them that this is true. But Paul just doesn't do that. And what Paul says is many times God has to bypass your mind to get to your heart. He has to actually shut your mind down because your mind can't see him, can't hear him, just struggles to know him. And so many times God will take over your mind. He will shut it down. So literally, New York Times in 2006 did a study. They, they found a study, a medical study on speaking in tongues where they put people into an MRI machine and they said, what happens in people's brains when they speak in tongues? They said it was the most fascinating thing. Their conscious mind went blank. It's just like that part of your brain just shut down. They said they were aware, they were conscious, they knew they were there, and yet, and you know what happened next? Their heart rate went down. Their body relaxed. It, it was like God's like, hey, I gotta, I gotta get to your spirit and your mind is getting in the way. Corey Russell would say it this way. Sometimes God has to offend your mind to get to your heart. He's gotta get through there. On this study on speaking in tongues, they also did a study in England in, the, in uh, uh, of 600 people who spoke in tongues, and they asked them a series of questions, and what they found is in this group of people who prayed in tongues on a daily basis, zero of these people had anxiety or depression in their lives. They had the healthiest mind possible by opening their spirit to God. And again, this is the New York Times. Like, I guarantee you they're not printing that without, <laughs> you know, it's like, not like they're like, oh, we just you know, like to print stuff about Christianity that's really positive and, uh, and good. Really want to get out there the Christians. And so I, I want to tell you this. There's something about uh, the fruitfulness of your mind being at rest. Um, so there's actually a book you should go buy. It's called Rest. And it's about what happens when people engage in what this author called deep play. So he says when people do things that they can shut down their conscious mind, but it gets their body, at, their body is at work, but their conscious mind is not active. So he said like painting or sailing, or things that are like muscle memory. He's like, it's amazing how many epiphanies people have in the midst of that. How many guys I know who have been chopping wood and God blows up their world, speaks to them because their, their body is active, their mind goes to rest, and God just, whew, here we go. Let me just, boom, drop something. Somebody's just taking a walk in nature. And it's literally God shows up in their spirit while their mind is at rest. So um, I love this idea that that the church is meant to be spirit and truth. And sometimes what the church looks like is the bodybuilder who is like from the waist up. You're like, man, that guy's yoked. And then he wears shorts and you're like, whoa, legs, bro. Like, yo, like squats, you know, like, I mean, it's like just little toothpicks. And what's funny about that, it's the least functional amount of strength you could possibly have. Like, so you put that guy in a, in, on a mat, uh, with a Navy SEAL who does jujitsu and all this core stuff. And that guy will roll him up. I play basketball against guys, super buff. And I was like skinny, you know? And I was like, dude, I pushed that guy. That was hilarious. And he just like moved. It was just, there's just nothing. There's so many times the church has all this non-functional strength. And so we know all the right things to say. We know all the right answers. And yet when life punches us in the face, our spirit is weak. And our mind can't convince you to go to that level of sacrifice. My mind can't convince me to chase after joy when I'm in pain, to show up to places that are difficult. And yet my spirit, Paul says, I want, to, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being. Why? Because it's your inner being that forces you to show up for your own life. 
when things just get so hard. It's like your spirit has to be like, ooh, I'm not letting go of this thing. My mind is telling me to run away. My spirit's telling me, run to Jesus. Take it to him. Go to church. Call that mentor. Show up. (laughs) Don't let it go. It's fascinating, too, because all these studies have come out in the last 20 years about trauma, that trauma cannot be healed in the mind. We think that trauma is in our brain, and they're like, no, 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 no. Trauma is stored in your body. And if you don't access the body, and the body and the spirit, we just know, are so joined. If you don't access the body, you will not get to the trauma, which is one of the things that we've seen is here at our church embodied expressive worship has been one of the most healing things you can do if you have trauma in your life. Because your body gets healed as you, you, I mean, you like force it. Paul says, I force my body, I beat it into submission to come into alignment with Jesus. Like, like worship is like, I'm going to bring my body here and what starts to happen, right, is God just starts to do things and you just start to relax. Your body starts to get freed. Stuff starts to come up. And guess what? He'll heal your mind too, but he'll heal your body You'll hear any wounds in your spirit. But this idea of trauma, it's just really interesting. But at the end, at the end, I love this. If you go to verse 24, right? So if all prophesy, right? So if all speak in tongues, it's going to be crazy. Nobody's going to get anything. Unbelievers are going to be like, these people are nuts. But he said, if all people prophesy, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called account to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is fascinating. This is why the manifestation gifts matter for the church. Because the church is designed to be a community of people that when people come in, they look around, they go, certainly God is among them. So this is how you determine whether or not our church is doing well or not doing well. Are people entering this room Sundays and Wednesdays? Are they coming into your living room when you gather with your friends and you talk about your life? Are they walking away and saying, man, God is in the midst of that group of people. And the beautiful thing is that doesn't matter how many people are in this room. There could be five people in this room every Sunday and we would be the most successful church in America if somebody walked in and said, whew, man, God's here. God is among them. So I just want to walk through real quick Paul's positive statements. Paul says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) Direct quote. I love that. That Paul that you love his atonement theology, that dude was a a Pentecostal tongue-speaking fool. I mean, you just have to get with the program. If you hung out with Paul, I mean, I, I think we think that Paul sat in lecture halls and gave seminary lessons. No, he shows up to Ephesus and he's like, have you met the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, No, and he's like, let's go. (laughs) Next thing you know, you know what's happening? They're all speaking in tongues. And then you know what happened next? They said that city got turned upside down by Jesus. Paul is this wild man. I love it. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Paul's desire for them was to know the manifestation of the spirit where you utter mysteries and you speak directly to God and you have this one-on-one thing and you have this special thing with him. For anyone who speaks in tongue does not speak to man, but to God. It's a good thing for you to speak directly to God with your spirit. Romans says that sometimes we don't know what to pray, and so there's like this groan inside of us. He who speaks a tongue edifies himself. And then the very last, um, close to last verse, 
39 in uh, chapter 14. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. So as we kind of wrap towards a close, I just thought about like, what about our church? So what do, what do we want to do? So we believe that the, that the gift of tongues is given by the Holy Spirit and that means it's good, right? So what we're going to do is we will not quench the Holy Spirit by forbidding tongues. We're, and we're not going to say that's too messy, it's too hard, it's too difficult to parse what's happening. We're not going to say no to that because the Holy Spirit gives the gift. So we're never going to say no to his gift my dad one time, um, he passed to this little country church where they have farmers, you know, and there's farmers have big farms, and sometimes they get competitive, even when they're like brother-in-laws. And so while my dad was on a trip, one of these farmers gave the church a $50,000 printer. That's how much printers cost in 1980. Like this giant, I mean, he's like, it took up an entire room. And he gave it, and while my dad was gone, the other guy on the board says no to the gift. He said, no, all right, we don't want that gift, we don't need it, blah, blah, blah. So he sent it away. So my dad gets into town. He says, I find out, call around on the phone. Where's that farmer who said no? He's in the field. My dad drives out to the field. He said, I get in the tractor with him. And I tell him, we will never refuse a gift. So if you refuse somebody's gift, you're not just rejecting the gift, you're rejecting the giver. And you're stealing a blessing on two sides. You're stealing the blessing God wants to give you and you're stealing the blessing God wants to give them as they give it with joy and it's received with joy. It's the same thing with the spiritual gifts. We'll never say no to a gift of God. But... Let me just tell you, we will practice this gift in accordance to the wisdom of Paul by exercising caution how, when, and where we practice this gift. So what Paul's talking about is like people would stand up in this, this room and they would speak out in tongues and then there'd be no interpretation and then the next person would get up, they'd speak in tongues. So it was just chaos. But what Paul doesn't say is for no one to ever pray in tongues during the middle of church in worship. So I don't want to freak you out, but it may have happened on your row this morning. Somebody was worshiping and praying to God with this gift. And so we, we will not squash that gift as a part of worship, but we're, we just ask people to be really careful about how you do it and where you're at and who's on the row and do you know those people? But, just, but then we have people who are like, they love this gift and they get together in little prayer circles and they all pray in tongues. And I'm like, I bless that because everyone in that circle knows what they're there for. And they know what the gift is and they know what's happening and they're worshiping and praying together. And I'm like, I bless that. But if you get one person in that circle who doesn't know what that is and doesn't understand, you just stop. You say, we're not going to do that in this way. We're not going to put a stumbling block. So that's how we're going to do it. We'll exercise care in our surroundings to make sure that we're not a distraction or a discouragement in the church. And then it's the age old thing. Well, what if somebody got up and spoke in tongues? I just, I'm just going to say it again. If somebody did that right now, I don't know if you want to do that, please. You know. Anyways, I would just ask for an interpretation. Does anybody hear in their spirit what they're saying? And, and, and just so you know, this is real. This has happened multiple times in our prayer room as someone has been praying in tongues. Somebody else has said, God just told me what you're saying. And they're like, that's what I was saying with my spirit. I wasn't saying with my mind. I couldn't interpret it. But somebody's like, this is what you're saying. They're like, this is amazing, right? So, uh, but if that happened, if there's no interpretation, I would just ask them to sit down and, you know, we just move on. We do it in every other area of our life when something weird happens. What do you do? You're just like, well, that was weird. And then you just like keep having lunch, right? Like you don't like, I'm out of here. Like we'll never be friends again. How dare you? You're just like, that was a weird comment. Like, you know, it's like family dinner. And you're like, that's like uh, my uncle. He's just always like saying something weird. And you invite him back the next year. You're just like, he just, you just let people know. He's a little strange. He's going to say something. Sorry. 
And then you just, you know, it's like you don't freak out about it. So I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, just to wrap up. So I just want to say, we're seeing this gift in our community. And for that, I am really thankful. We're also seeing these other manifestation gifts. We're seeing people get words of knowledge and words of wisdom, discernment about spirits. We're seeing people with, with healing and miracles. Last week, we had people, if you had experienced a, a healing in your life, I bet 75%, uh, 75 people probably stood up in the middle of this church saying, the last year I've seen or prayed for, witnessed a healing, a miraculous healing. That could not have been done apart from God's power. And we're glad for those things. We're seeing it in, in brand new baby Christians. And we're seeing it in people who have been Christians for years and years and years. And God has given them this gift. We've seen it um, happen in people's prayer lives. We've seen it happen here in the prayer room. But here's what I love the most. Is in people's lives, in this church, this gift has been producing beautiful fruit in their Heart. So can I read you two testimonies I got from uh, two young guys who were both students at OU, 22 years old, and both of them uh, received this gift. They were praying for it and received it within, um, really within weeks of each other. Um, one of them, it was fascinating. The first one was literally in, in, in all, at some point I want Will to give his testimony in full, but he was in a hotel room at 3 a.m. in Dallas at OU, Texas, in a hotel room with 10 other guys and popped up in the middle of the night praying in tongues and, and it's just like he was like it, it was amazing it, it went for an hour he's weeping and laughing and he's just praying over every single person in the room his, his friend Carter was there and about a week later Carter received uh, the gift of tongues in a Barnes and Noble parking lot <laughs> just him and the Lord just saying Lord I love you I want to know more of you if you have that gift I'd love to experience it but Carter said this, he said, in, the, in my truck in the middle of a parking lot, Holy Spirit anointed me so gently with his gift, I began to speak in tongues with tears flowing down my face. I want you to know, this is a 22-year-old kid, right? This is not some like a lofty church leader or somebody who's like, it's just like, just a, this desire to know Jesus. Tears flowing down my face and joy in my heart for a long time. This gift has led to deeper personal intimacy with the Lord as well as knocking off a cynical spirit in my heart. And I'm so grateful the Lord has gifted this to me. The other one says, these strange tongues began coming out of my mouth as I wept and laughed so hard my stomach hurt next to one of my best friends. I was forever changed. It's fundamentally changed and enhanced my intimacy with the Father. When I pray in tongues, I feel peace, joy, and closeness with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And what I watched is these two friends started worshiping every single day in their house with other young people as they finished OU. So every morning they're in their house inviting people to worship and pray and I just thought, I, man, it was the sign for me of like, God's going to bring revival in our day. If I know 22-year-olds who are in their dorm rooms or in their apartment in Norman, praying and worshiping, inviting people in, I was just like, thank you, Jesus. What a beautiful thing. So, so much of this conversation is, uh, <laughs> is driven by fear. So let me tell you, my fear is that eliminating tongues from the church makes us into God. We, we choose. We're in charge of what happens. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit chooses what gifts get distributed and where and how and to whom. We're not in charge. Not only that, but it's like this act of ungratefulness. You turn the spiritual gifts into a buffet line in, in which you choose what you want and you leave out the rest. And, and I don't know how many of you are parents in here, but man, when one of your children rejects an offering you give to them, whew, what, a, what a 
painful experience to want to give a gift to your child and they just say, nope, I don't want that one. I want that one, this one, that one. You know, and you're just like, no, but I have, I, I, want, I want to offer you everything. So what's interesting is Paul lifts up the prophetic, but most people eliminate the gift of tongues, ultimately end up eliminating the prophetic gift as well. And then there's a cascading effect as you start to eliminate the gifts. Pretty soon you end up with zero manifestations in the church. And what the church becomes is a lecture hall where we come to get good teaching and then we go home and we just try really hard to be good. And God never asked you to try really hard to be good. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to live in you. And he said, the life of Christ will come out of you as you connect to the Holy Spirit who lives in you and you start to do his will freely. So ultimately, if the church gets left without manifestations, we have a church that's bereft of its power and becomes ultimately something that doesn't look anything like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is our master and savior. So I want you to stand to your feet. Uh, so ultimately, here, here's what I want to say. He says, pursue love. And earnestly desire the gifts. What that looks like to me is an entire church just saying, Jesus, we want you. We want you. That's it, right? We just want you over everything else, which leads to Jesus, we want your Holy Spirit. If you want Jesus, he's like, it's a package deal. (laughs) You don't get me without the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you, which leads us to Holy Spirit, we just want your power in our midst. Amen. So I want to encourage you in your prayer life currently, in your Bible reading, in your time with friends, would you start to cultivate a desire, or really the Bible word is zeal. Would you start to cultivate a zeal for the power of God to be displayed in your life? And that starts literally with Jesus, I want you. So I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. If you've ever been at Skyline, what we do is we just spread out. We grab a piece of bread. We dip it in the juice. Uh, usually we'll turn back to our seats or we'll just gather up and we just pray and we're going to worship and we'll be done uh, when this worship song is done. So would you pray with me? Would you just close your eyes? And would you just in your spirit right now, if you agree with that, would you just tell us, say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want you. I want everything you are and I want everything that you want to give me. And if you've been uncomfortable or if you've been afraid or if you've experienced abuse in a church around these gifts, would you just say, Jesus, would you come and heal? Come and heal my spirit. Come and heal my heart. Come and heal my mind so that I can see you so clearly and I can receive from you everything you are and everything you want to give me. So Jesus, we love you. I am so grateful that you died on the cross to demonstrate your love for us, that we have so much value to you. <laughs> you love us so much and there's nothing we can do that, uh, that would make you love us less or to love us more. We have ultimate love from you. We are number one in your hearts. Thank you for that. So I pray, Jesus, that in these days you would pour out your spirit in churches so that they would say, certainly God is among us and that you would revive us again. So we love you. We bless you, Jesus. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you. And we pray in your name. Amen.